Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say ho, 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 Christmas cousins. I'm Cousin Chad. And I'm Cousin Seth. And Cousin Seth, we've got another exciting day ahead of us on the show, don't we? We do, absolutely. Today, Cousin Seth, we're we're actually stepping into a time machine. A literal time machine. Okay, it's not literal, but a time machine of holiday nostalgia as we welcome our very special guest, Brian Earl. Sorry about that. <laughs> That's okay. You never know what's going on with Cousin Seth's room. He's got people in and out. He's got servants and household staff. He's got live bands practicing in his studio. We <laughs> get it, Access to Seth. buttons, apparently. So, <laughs> yeah, sorry exactly. about that. <laughs> they, you, your computer got a little excited over our guest. So we have Brian mm-hmm. Earl, the maestro behind the Enchanting Christmas Past podcast. So Brian's going to join us as we unravel some of the magic of yesteryears, share some insights from his podcast, delve into the pages of his holiday book, and even offer a sneak peek into his upcoming appearances and festive endeavors. But most importantly, because this is the Christmas Cousins, Brian takes on the pivotal role of Christmas guide and will lead you, Cousin Seth, our festive freshman, through pivotal past Christmas events that have helped shape the holiday as we know it today. Brian, welcome to the Christmas Cousins podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Thank thank you. you. This is exciting. Uh, Brian, we ask all of our guests, hopefully you're not nervous in front of a live studio audience as you see there's about 100 people here. That's in practice. Yeah. Okay, good. So that's excellent. So let's let's get into this. First, thank you again for joining us. It's a pleasure. We're, we're big fans of your podcast. I've been listening oh. for a long time. Cousin Seth is new to it. I told him and Seth, have you done some homework mm-hmm. and listened? I have. I have. Um, okay. I want to do some more. Yeah. But yeah, you, uh, you have quite a bit out there. So it's been at it for a while. Yeah, I have. It uh, started all in 2016. Um, I think it was, yeah, November or December of 2016, the first episode came out. So this is now starting my eighth season. And I believe it's one of the longest running podcasts of its time. I was going through some, I noticed some some people that we've spoken to uh, too. So that was was great Mm -hmm. to see. Yeah, the great thing about the Christmas podcasting community is it's very collaborative. You you tend to hear a lot of the same people appearing on each other's shows, which I, I think just makes it a really close-knit community of creators who just love the season and love kind of contributing to each other's work and just creating this nice atmosphere for podcast listeners to help you know, get into the spirit. Yeah, we've found that since we've started our podcast, how supportive everybody is and how great it's been to jump on their shows to have us on as well. Uh, so that's been really cool. We didn't expect that. We thought maybe we'd just be podcasting in a cousin vacuum with us too. Yeah. And now uh, it's been building a real community. So a lot of your episodes, uh, how many total episodes do you have now in your eight I've years? I've lost count, honestly. Um, <laughs> it's in the hundreds, 200 at least, wow. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's well, yeah, I saw you have a mini series too. It's uh, That was yeah, interesting. Yeah. You know, it started out um, pretty simply back in 2015 is when I guess it really got started. And at the time, I was listening to a lot of NPR style podcasts like Planet Money, Radio Lab, stuff like that. Things that mm-hmm. there's a very specific storytelling style. And they'll take this one topic and just do this deep dive. And the, the way that they do it, there's a, there's a tone and a style that can take the most mundane topic and just make it feel like fresh and alive and exciting. And you have these light bulb moments like you never would have imagined that these two things were connected. And I think, mm-hmm. and I said to myself, I wonder if that exists for Christmas. That would be, I would love to listen to that. And so I went looking for it. And of course, back in 2015, there were, there were like four Christmas podcasts total. Um, There were a couple of churches that released their Christmas sermons as a podcast feed. There were a couple of, 
I wouldn't even call them podcasts. They're more just like playlists. It would be each episode would be, you know, five Celtic Christmas songs or something. The only thing that came anything anywhere near like the kind of podcast that you guys have or that I have was this one by a guy named Lee Cameron, who is a radio mm. DJ from L.A. Uh, his podcast was called The Christmas Stocking. He stopped producing it, I think, in 2018. It's still, hmm. I think, one of the best ever, maybe the, the best ever. Really? Um, and what that showed me, like two things at the same time, like number one, this sort of NPR for Christmas is missing from the market. And right. number two, that just regular people can put out podcasts. So at the time, I had no ambitions of starting a podcast. That wasn't my, hmm. I wanted to, a thing for me to listen to. And then right. when I realized, A, that it didn't exist, and B, that it would be possible for someone like me to produce it, I said, okay, I'll give that a try. Uh, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no yeah. business trying to do like NPR style storytelling. I mean, I'm a <laughs> software designer. I'm not like a writer or a reporter or anything like that. <laughs> but I had a very, very clear and specific idea of exactly what I wanted this thing to feel like and sound like and be like. So I spent a year, you know, putting it together. And th that first year, the idea was I'd put out about a dozen episodes and each of them tells the backstory to a particular Christmas tradition. Um, mm -hmm. The first three episodes were a, sort of a mini series about Santa Claus because the topic was so big, I had to break it up into three different episodes. Hmm. But then, um, yeah, you're right, Seth. You said I, I did a, a, a mini series. You know, I kept wanting to expand. Uh, um, so yeah, as I started doing more episodes, I wanted to just kind of expand and experiment a little bit. Uh, and I also wanted to start putting out episodes earlier and earlier in the year. So I would put some out in October and September. And those were more straight interview style because the ones where I'm doing the, um, the, the ones that come up between Thanksgiving and Christmas, what I call my, my main season, my core season, those are all scripted and require just tons and tons of editing the interviews that I do with people, finding just the right music, uh, getting people to send me Christmas memories. Those are very production intensive and they take me months right. to put together. Um, wow. But then I also wanted ones where I can just do on the fly where I'll narrate some piece of long forgotten Christmas fiction. Uh, you know, nowadays we yes. tend to listen, we, you know, we read um, the night before Christmas and a Christmas Carol. I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg. There is this whole world of Christmas literature that's just lost. Uh, and so I like bringing stuff like that back or I like doing interview based episodes. Yeah. That recent one, Brian, that you did with that Mary, what's her name? Mary um, Wilkins Freeman. Yeah. Yes. Fascinating. I love that. That was such a cool story. Did, did, I don't know if you got to catch that, Seth, but Brian, tell us a little bit about that because you brought back, this is a woman who was so prolific and mm -hmm. would write Christmas stories weekly be in two newspapers per week and she was syndicated yeah. and this was uh what time frame was this this was uh toward the end of the 19th century and somewhat into the early um uh, 20th century so you know late 1800s and yeah i mean the short story was kind of the pop entertainment of its day you know before most houses had a radio obviously before a tv you know short stories would just appear in newspapers and if it's a daily newspaper it's printed on wednesday and forgotten on thursday this was kind of like the pop disposable entertainment of, of the time. And so a lot of people just made their careers writing stories that would appear in magazines and newspapers. Mary hmm. Wilkins Freeman was one of them. And throughout the Christmas season, in addition to all of her other writing, she would do a lot of Christmas uh, stories. So a professor uh, in England named Thomas Rui Smith just published a collection of these stories. And again, because so many of them just kind of come and go, many of them have been lost to history, you know, just haven't hmm. appeared in any other collections or anthologies or scholarly papers or anything. So he found, quote unquote, uh, and rescued this one story from obscurity about this, these kids whose parents aren't with them for Christmas and they have a visitor who they're not quite sure what his intentions are and they kind of have to deal with all that. I won't give too much away, but it's a really cute, fun story. And the thing is, 
you know, there's some stuff about it that's dated. It really wouldn't quite work today, but it's not written in such foreign language that, you know, you can't relate to it or it sounds weird, turns a phrase or something like that. It's, it's a cute little story and there's lots of them out there like that. So I love bringing ones like that back uh, in some yeah. small way to make them available to people who wouldn't have discovered them any other way. How would he even discover that? He was perusing old newspaper. I mean, that, that seems like yeah. something that was just so old forgotten. Newspaper archives. Luckily, they're all really? digitized. So wow. if you okay, so. spend your time just pouring through databases and digitized newspapers, yeah, he was able to find it. Wow, that's so cool. So that's uh, that was something that was just totally lost. And not even just that it was the Christmas stories, but the fact that it was this this disposable entertainment similar to an Instagram post of our day. They would read it, like you said, on a Wednesday. By Thursday, they'd forget about yeah. it. So she was an original, uh, you know, um, someone who was inspiring people. It was crazy. She was a content creator of her day, basically. Right. Yeah, really. And, um, you know, at Christmas time nowadays, we have our own modern version of the kind of prolific disposable kind of content in the form of those made for TV Christmas romance movies where, there, you know, there's, there's just so many of them. They're not made to last. Right. They're not supposed to. None of them are going to become classics. They're just there to fill the space for the season, right. just stuff to have on in the background um, or just like how every now and then there'll be one or two standout albums, uh, Christmas mm. albums. I think this year Brandy put out a pretty good one. Cher has mm. a pretty good one. Believe it or not, the one that she has a, a, a duet on it with Cyndi Lauper. That's actually pretty good. But, I've heard know, that they, song. We put out a lot great. of disposable content like that every year, and, and this was this was the equivalent to that about a hundred years ago. Right, not many will be total classics like Justin Bieber's Mistletoe, which is right up there with Mozart <laughs> and Beethoven. Right. I understand what you're saying, Brian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then so in in your show, you just have to kind of brainstorm and think of different ideas or thoughts and wondering. My favorite episode you've done is. Uh, why we use Merry Christmas. So that must have been something you just questioned yourself. Well, why do we say Merry? We don't say it in any other situation except with regards to Christmas, really. And if you do, it has a connotation of Christmas. Exactly, right? It's one of these words that we keep around only to trot it out during the Christmas season, unless you're talking about a merry-go-round or if you use the phrase, the more the merrier. That word mm. just hangs out just so that we can trot it out every Christmas and wish one another a uh, happy holiday season. Same for humbug. That used to be a really common word. It was like the rough equivalent to BS, you know, mm. uh, and that's what that's what Scrooge was saying when he said Christmas a humbug. He's saying Christmas is a bunch of, you know, BS. Oh. Um, and then that word just like disappeared, but it's still in our language. And Christmas is, is kind of like this cool language museum uh, in a way because we bring it out every year and we use turns of phrase that we wouldn't normally use, like the Lord is come instead of like the Lord has come. You know, a lot of that like fossilized mm -hmm. language still exists in Christmas carols and old Christmas poems and stories and things like that. And so, yeah, it's really this nice little glimpse into the past that we get to have every year. But you're right with Mary or any of the traditions that I cover, it all starts with why? For every Christmas tradition that you celebrate, there is a story behind it. And it's usually one that we've forgotten. Mm -hmm. um, so we go ahead and we make gingerbread every Christmas. But but why? Why gingerbread? Why not something else? Yeah, it, for every tradition, there is a story behind why we, we've done it and why it sticks around. And there are for every tradition that we celebrate, there are a hundred that came and went. So one of the recurring themes on the on Christmas past is that the, the version of Christmas you celebrate is merely a version of Christmas. It's kind of mm. this curated collection of Christmas traditions from different points in history, different times uh, or different parts of the world. 
but it's only a curated collection. It's not the final collection of Christmas traditions. It's not the complete by any stretch of the imagination. It's just this little window into what Christmas has been and is now. Hmm. And when you take a, a step back to look at the way that you experience Christmas here in the you know late or early 21st century, so much of it is so new that it, it's pretty surprising because for a holiday that's based on this millennia old uh, religious story that's filled with all kinds of old Christmas carols and what we imagine to be ancient symbolism like wreaths and Christmas trees and stars and candles, think of how much of your experience of Christmas is things like White Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Charlie Brown. I mean, all of this stuff is decades old. My grandparents didn't have White Christmas growing up. My sure. great-grandparents probably were among the first Americans to have a Christmas tree in their house. Huh. All of this stuff is just generation, a few generations old. Um, right. Even Santa Claus himself, who's based on St. Nicholas, a real guy from the 300s. Um, but the version of him, though, where we all kind of agree he's this big guy with white hair who wears a red robe and no other color is acceptable. That's all from the 1930s. I mean, there are people alive today who are older than our, our image of Santa Claus. I mean, that's how new all of this stuff is. And maybe we can get into this later, but Christmas is always changing and we're always writing the next chapter in the history and we're phasing out some traditions and bringing in new ones. Well, that must mean that we're living through a period of that now. It's like, what are the things that we're adding to and removing from Christmas so that we can hand it off to the next generation? I think one thing that comes to mind is like, uh, you know, just having freshly watched uh, uh, the 1951 version of A Christmas Carol, but uh, A Christmas Goose as the uh, the staple for the the meal. I mean, does Mm -hmm. anybody do a goose anymore? I I don't know. (laughs) Is it or turkey or a ham or... Well, and it's, it was, uh, it used to fall much more along class divide. If you were rich, you would have roast beef. Uh, okay. Some rich people would even serve peacock on Christmas. And then, of course, oh, wow. there's the boar's head carol, where um, in grand banquets, you would literally, a severed boar's head would be brought out onto the, um, like on a silver platter. Those are some things that we used to do around Christmas time. Uh, and a lot oh, no. of the recipes that you enjoy now used to look much, much different. Um, things like mince pies, you know, it's called minced meat because it actually used to have meat in it, even though now it's mostly just like a fruit filling. Um, right. So even some of the things that were around back then looked quite different than how they do now. Yeah, and it is. It's so crazy. And it's it seems so embedded in our Christmas DNA that there's Santa, that there's the Christmas tree that you think it's hundreds of years old, but literally a lot of it is not even a hundred years old. It's, it's generation, a few generations, but that's it. Even the classic songs from all the crooners, we're talking the forties and fifties. It's not yeah. that long ago. Crazy. It really yeah. is super, super new. I even right. it's like the Nutcracker, you know, it's like this old ballet, but not really. Like it was not a big deal when it came to Russia and Christmas was not as prominent in the original productions. It was more like there was a Christmas tree. It was in the back. Um, It was only when it came to America in the 1950s that it became this thing that, you know, almost every major city had at least one production where it became this big Christmas tradition. I mean, it's just really, really new. And so, you know, my mom now is in her late 70s. A lot of the way that you and I experience and celebrate Christmas with the songs and the TV show, like, you know, she was born before television. Um, Hmm. 
So, I mean, think of how much Christmas has changed just in your lifetime, in my lifetime, and how much it'll continue to change as we go forward. And one of the fun things, you know, as I immerse myself in these topics is to try to imagine, well, where are we, like, based on where I've seen us move in just in my lifetime, where are we heading? Um, and I have some right. ideas about that, but I'd be yeah, interested so, to see if you guys have any of your own. Well, it seems to, Seth, from what you've seen so far, what do you see as a prevalent thing? Because there seems to be certain things that everybody we talk to is into. That's modern. Um, <laughs> uh, so food is a big common theme, yep. <laughs> or maybe mm -hmm. it is for me. I go back to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, I'm trying to, think, you know, the tree, um, getting the tree and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but for, I, it's for, hard for me to say right now because I feel like in this part of my journey, I'm not in the reflective part or the questioning phase <laughs> right now. I'm still just like, keep your head down and get to work, keep to work. So That's a good point. A, yeah. I, from what I'm seeing is now the Hallmark movies have only been around since about 2010, but yep. everybody, I mean, it seems like everybody who, when they bring up Christmas, they will reference a Hallmark movie, whether they're watching them or just say, oh, that looks like a Hallmark town or wow, it's like out of a Hallmark movie. So that's become such a part of our lexicon that you would think that's been around forever. But literally, I think it started in 2010, which is I think it was in its I think the, One of the first was, um, I think it was the Christmas card with Candace Cameron Bure, or at least that was the first one that was a, a major hit. And right. You know, I think on the one hand, they've sort of mastered that formula of the kind of conspicuously wholesome story where, you know, there's like a little smooch at the end, but it's mostly about a romance mm. happening in a small town. And once that bore itself out as a profitable thing to do at Christmas, you know, now, of course, Lifetime, Up TV, Netflix, everyone wants a piece of that action. Right. Um, and I think, you know, all this kind of thing is going to have a long term effect on how Christmas culture changes. And one of the one of the most I don't know, prominent ways is that in order for them to release their 40 movies throughout the season, they have to start releasing them before Halloween. And you right. keep hearing Christmas comes earlier and earlier every year. It's not really true. I mean, because people have been saying that since like the 1900s. I mean, if mm. it were true, we would have like looped back on ourselves a couple times already. <laughs> uh, it's just more that it's coming earlier and earlier in greater force, right? Like it used to kind of trickle in around October. Now it's like basically October is the Christmas season. Um, right. And Hallmark is just a big part of that. Uh, and also the, the changing the way that we think of Christmas stories. When I share some of the older stories on Christmas past, you know, I, I'll read some uh, Hans Christian Andersen or, Do or Dostoevsky, you know, things like The Little Match Girl or The Heavenly Christmas Tree. And it used to be a long time ago that Christmas stories could be tragedies. I mean, in The Little Match Girl, the girl dies. She freezes to death in the street. Um, sure. We can think of as a Christmas story. Whereas nowadays, most Christmas stories are romances. Uh, and right. specifically, the story of a romance that blossoms during the Christmas season, which is like the worst time to start dating. Like no one actually uh, starts a new relationship <laughs> during the Christmas season. It's <laughs> good to know. <laughs> As a single watched, man, that's good to know. Yeah, um, I watch those movies like they're documentaries, and I just like, oh, so this is really what's happening, huh? And I have no idea. But, <laughs> yeah, and, and yes. Ch cousin Chad, you're not going to like this, but um, there's probably some Christmas movies that stay in the big city and never leave and go out uh, to that, uh, that idyllic uh, community out in <laughs> Brian New York or whatever. Yeah, because I like when they leave the uh, when they leave the big city and they go to right a great upstate New York town or one of these other mm -hmm. towns and they're in the small towns. So 
Uh, that's been another thing that Christmas in the city versus the small towns, that has to be new. That couldn't be obviously pre-industrialization. So that has to be a right. relatively new thing as well that, oh, we remember the Christmas of old back in the small towns, but it couldn't have been that old because we wouldn't have compared it to a city for that long. It would have to be. That's right. You know, under and and also, as soon as there was a city and country life to compare to one another, uh, Christmas stories started to reflect that. And there actually are some old ones uh, as the Yule log hmm. burns, which is from the late 19th century. And they're really and this is another kind of thing you used to see with Christmas stories, what they were about homecomings, because there are so many people who would go, who would leave rural England, go to London for, for work to find jobs, mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, and then, you know, Christmas was the big homecoming and family reunion time. Yeah. And there were lots of stories about that. Uh, even Washington Irving uh, did some pieces about that, the Christmas homecoming story. And I feel like the Hallmark is kind of a reflection of that, but it, there's always this, you know, hometown hunk and there's going to be some kind of tree lighting ceremony and, and a romance that, that happens, uh, as the right. centerpiece of the story, which I think, it, you know, I think we're moving toward a time where with changing our ideas about what we think of as a Christmas story and the way, the very specific way that we want those stories told, because all of those movies, no matter who's putting them out, follow a formula. And we like it that way, apparently. I use the royal right. we. I don't mean we, me, because I actually don't like those stories all that much. But that's sort of what I see is happening in the culture. What is the name of that book you just referenced that in the before Washington Irving? Oh, there's one called As the Yule Log Burns. It's a long, uh, short story, but it's a long mm -hmm. one. Um, and I actually, you'll find it on my podcast. Uh, uh, oh, Ricky okay. Meese, who hosts the um, uh, Sleigh Bells and Mistletoe podcast, actually narrated that one for me. Oh, okay. Oh, I will definitely look that up. And where can they find you, by the way, on Instagram? You're at, at Christmas Past. Is that uh, what it is? Christmas Past Official on, on Instagram. Uh, Christmas Past on Facebook. Okay. Um, Xmas Past Podcast on Twitter. I guess we're all on threads now. I don't even remember what my handle is there because I basically ignore threads, but I guess we're all on threads. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's where it is. And you have a lot. Um, first of all, you do have a book that's amazing. So if you're listening oh, and want to hear more of these stories and get the uh, story, the fascinating stories behind our favorite holiday traditions, Christmas Past by Brian Earle, you can get it everywhere books are sold. Um, and I see you have it available on ebook, audiobook, hardcover, everything. Uh, basically that behind every cr tr Christmas tradition is a story, usually a forgotten one. So you kind of bring them back. You answer a lot of the questions. Uh, why do Americans spike their eggnog? What common Christmas items help introduce fine art to the masses? Fascinating stuff. Um, so you answer all those questions in the book. It's really cool. And it's just, it's great looking book to leave out as a decoration and kind oh, of nice. people are coming over, pull it out and Hey, check out this story. It's a great conversation starter too. So highly recommend that Seth. Mm -hmm. I think you should definitely get a reading on that. That should be your homework yeah. this week for sure. That would like be great. It. And the, so Brian, where are you showing up? I know you have some cool big appearances coming up. Where is that? Yeah, this year, um, it, Last year was with the book, I was doing quite a bit of media. Uh, this year it's going to be a little bit stripped down, but I will be appearing on um, the Toys That Made America, or Toys That Built America, which is a, a TV show on the History Channel. I Love that back series. In June, yeah. went out to New York to record an episode, and that will be coming out on December 10th. Uh, so I'm told. I don't have much okay. more information than that, but uh, I'm going to be on the season <laughs> of that show. And then, I mean, just, you know. Cool. Search my name on the podcastosphere. I'm appearing on basically every podcast uh, imaginable. <laughs> this is the time of year where I'm getting lots of requests to be on podcasts. So um, I actually yeah. don't have a full list of where I'm going to be. It's going to be quite a few places. Right. That's okay. Awesome. But people can keep following up. So that's, 
Just a quick question about your book. So you started, you said you're a soft, you work in software. Yeah. Then you had to start as a complete nascent, nascency with your podcast from scratch, had no idea what you were doing really. And then you had to figure out how to write a book, how to find a publisher, how to do all these things. How did you figure this all out along the way? It's very impressive. Yeah. And everything, how did the answer to the question, how did you figure it out is just like by the hair of my chinny chin chin, uh, like every... <laughs> Every little, um, you know, phase for the podcast has opened up new opportunities. And what, what really did it for me with the book was that I got into a point where I had a lot of material from the podcast that could be fuel for a book. Um, most of the stuff in the book is just repurposing of the podcast, turning it into prose and uh, rather than, you know, something that you would listen to. Um, but I also, it was in 2020 where the podcast had reached a certain milestone for download numbers, which... Um, you know, it's a, a nice number, a nice number with two commas in it. Um, and so, you know, it kind of got me thinking, nice. okay, I think I'm on to something here. I think I've built up enough of an audience where I could start approaching publishers and say, you know, I, I think you guys could feel confident right. in putting out so, a book by me because I have enough of an audience. So the way all that goes is you um, you write up a book proposal. It's a very detailed plan, like a 50-page plan of exactly what this book is going to be, who's going to buy it, what's going to be in it, some sample content. And then you just shop it around to literary agents and see if any of them think you got anything. I was lucky enough to land an agent who then sold it to a publisher. And that's, I mean, I'm, I'm basically just describing the traditional publishing right. process. You, it's you, fascinating though, because you had to figure it out step by step and oh yeah, yeah. you had to come to them with the whole backing saying, I have an audience, I have people interested, I have proof mm -hmm. of concept basically. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And one of the things, you know, that was to my advantage is that over the years, I had interviewed many, many authors for the podcast. And so, you know, I tapped into my network there and asked for advice and things like that. So there were a few people who were very, very helpful. Um, yeah, Alex right. Palmer being one of them. He's uh, put out a couple Christmas books. He's become a friend over the years. He helped me with hmm. my mini series. So, yeah, he had a lot of great advice for me. Well, that's great. Congratulations. I mean, that that's really just, it's so cool to see. I mean, it's, it's inspiring for sure. So let's get into the nitty gritty here. We have sure. cousin Seth, as you know, with this, <laughs> I'm very into the holidays and celebrating all the seasons. Uh, and I've been doing that for, for a while as an adult where I really like to make every day feel special during the seasons. And when I was talking to my dear cousin, Seth, I said, Oh, what about this? What about this? And he said, no, I'll celebrate the day. But other than that, I just go about my life. And my mind was blown, Brian. So we mm -hmm. said, let's do this journey. And it's really resonated with people. We've been amazed at the feedback we've gotten and the amount of listeners and the amount of messages we get every day from people who really love hearing it. And even Seth's kind of naivete with regards to the holiday, <laughs> right, Seth? Yeah, so thank you for being, uh, referring to it in such a nice way. <laughs> I was going to say my aloofness or general <laughs> disconnect to life or things. <laughs> cluelessness. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Brian, what would you say that where Seth should jump in? What are like five things that we should say, okay, this is from Christmas past. You have to learn exactly what this is now. He knew so little. Like we had Alonzo Duraldi on, who if you know who he is, he's a renowned. Oh, sure, yeah. Okay, he's a film critic. He's a, a Christmas movie connoisseur. He was describing to Seth, our dear cousin Seth, the plot of It's a Wonderful Life. And I had to stop him and I said, Alonzo, did you ever think you'd be able to describe to a fully fledged American adult, uh, you know, about It's a Wonderful Life as if he just dropped onto this planet? But uh, he was able to. And it was it was fun seeing Seth's eyes widen as the story went through. It was, mm -hmm. it was wonderful, Seth. <laughs> As I, I think he kept looking and he's like over at me and just like, is this really the reaction? <laughs> Am I being punked? <laughs> he's like, it's Jay Ryan. 
<laughs> I don't know if Alonzo so, went into this or not, but I, I cover this in the book that It's a Wonderful Life is not a Christmas staple because it's this undeniably great Christmas movie. It was because back in the 1970s, the copyright on it lapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, just due to this quirk of the, the way that the public domain uh, works. And so all of a sudden, all of these local TV stations were just like, oh, cool, a free Christmas movie. We can run this without clearing the rights or paying a fee or anything like that. Uh, and then mm-hmm. it's now not in the public domain anymore, but that's really how it kind of snuck its way into the Christmas season. It probably would have gone the way of a ton of other Christmas movies. I get Christmas movies from that era are almost like some of those short stories where most of them came and went. You know, we know Miracle on 34th Street. We know It's a Wonderful Life. We know, uh, you know, a couple of those other ones. But, you know, there are lots of other movies of like that that just disappeared and that you'll never hmm. hear of. And there might be some gems in there that we have lost out there that need to be brought back to the forefront. Well, the other maybe interesting thing about those movies is you have to think about it. Like when you watch a Christmas movie, where do you watch it? At home, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You would not go to the movie theater to watch It's a Wonderful Life with your family every year, right? That right. doesn't make any sense. It's only once we had television that we could have this annual tradition of watching Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life or whatever it is. So the very notion of the Christmas movie, as odd as it sounds, because, you know, It's a Wonderful Life came out in the 40s, and but mm-hmm. it wasn't considered a Christmas movie. Uh, it's, it right. kind of breaks your brain to think about it as, a, as someone who grew up with television. Uh, even Miracle on 34th Street was released during the summer because huh. that's when people went to the movies. Wow. Interesting. And, and, you know, that's the kind of thing like you could never do that today. No one, it just wouldn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, so I mean, right. th- those are the kinds of things like I dive into when I, when I cover a tradition of like, okay, what's like the weird, fun, cool thing uh, about this that you, you wouldn't have imagined? Because uh, there's almost right. always one. Uh, so another Seth thing did... you mentioned, and maybe this is, yes. so Cousin Seth, I'm assuming that you don't send out Christmas cards uh, if you're not really into the preseason. <laughs> um, I've sent thank you cards, like handwritten thank you cards and stuff like that around Christmas, I guess, <laughs> but nothing was specifically uh, Christmas. Um, why do you ask? <laughs> because uh, uh, Chad mentioned one of the things from my book is, you know, what Christmas um, item helped introduce fine arts to the masses. And it was the Christmas mm-hmm. card. And this oh. was because there was a, a printer here in America who put mm-hmm. out these elaborate Christmas cards every year. And one of the things that that he would do was hire uh, fine artists to do paintings in old Christmas cards, interestingly, often did not depict Christmas. They depicted springtime. It was the total opposite. It was more like, yeah, I know it's the winter. I know things are bleak. Things are going to get better. So here's, you know, like a nice scene of some water lilies or something like that. Huh. Um, and you're taking advantage of new printing techniques for color printing uh, at, a, at a massive scale. So back in the day, I think of most people probably wouldn't have spent much time in an art museum, like an average rural person probably wouldn't have any color copies of like an art book like you would, you know, might just have randomly lying around your house. That would have been very new at the time. So for a lot of people, their first ever glimpse of a full color painting by an artist was from Christmas cards that they received. You don't think you really just take it for granted and don't think about that. You know, like, why didn't they just pull it up on the Internet if they wanted to see it 100 years ago? It doesn't make any sense, but. (laughs) Okay. Well, yeah, you look so at a card rack at like Walgreens and you got 50,000 different Christmas cards to choose from. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're just like, right. And so people right would not have seen the, the, right, even in their day to day, day to day homes. That's fascinating. Wow. Never even thought of that. Yeah. So, 
it was it was these artists getting to showcase their work to the masses on these Christmas cards, Brian. Yeah, exactly. And they you know they would sign it. Um, and the person who did that was a printer from the Boston area named Louis Prang. And if you ever go into an art supply store, you'll probably see Prang brand pencils and art supplies. It's um, the mm-hmm. company's still around; they're still producing art supplies. But that goes way back to uh, the yeah the 19th century. Wow. Okay. So we have movies, how they've revolutionized it. Uh, Christmas cards bringing art to the masses. What's another something in Christmas past that is so prevalent today that would just, we'd be shocked to, to have Well, it. I think we've gone through a couple of different periods of homogenization of Christmas, mm-hmm. right? Before the print media, there would be, you know, one community celebrating Christmas and another community over here celebrating Christmas. And, you know, without mass media or travel or distance um, communication across long distances, you obviously we didn't have cars back then. Communication between places that were far apart was, you know, really difficult. So you would have no idea what the community, you know, in the next state was doing for Christmas or even whether or not they celebrated Christmas. Because, again, Christmas... Mm-hmm. Was It was something some communities celebrated, others didn't. The puritanical influence in the Northeast was still around for a long, long time. But then in the 19th century, the number of daily newspapers in America, something like tripled within the space of a decade. Now you had a way to basically socialize this this one way of doing Christmas. You, you, you had a way of like capturing an image or a description and casting that net far and wide, right? So before hmm. radio and television, uh, you know, there were magazines and newspapers. And that really is what kind of helped us all solidify our idea. Like what what is Christmas? How do we celebrate it? Um, so the, the celebration sort of became a little bit more uniform and homogenized. And obviously there's still regional differences. The way that we celebrate it out in California, obviously is different from the Northeast, but it's basically the same. It's basically the same celebration. Then along came television. I think we're living through another period of that with social media where, you know, go into your favorite social media app and put in Christmas. I mean, just take a guess. What are like among the first dozen things you're going to see is like memes from um, uh, a Christmas story. You're going to see some gif of Will Ferrell running through the revolving doors (laughs) from the movie Elf. Like, but again, and because social media, because now we're not the we're not relying on daily newspapers or television, we're the media. We're the ones who decide what gets shared and what you know what ideas kind of thrive and which ones wither away. Um, and again, with the right. ubiquity of these Hallmark Christmas movies, I feel like we're moving into this period where Christmas is once again kind of solidifying and homogenizing into this like one basic thing. And I got to be honest with you, I haven't been around a while and growing up and mostly in the seventies and eighties and seeing where Christmas has been. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's maybe getting a little dulled down, a little, a uh, little too sterile, a little too samey samey every year. Uh, and again, because like it's you know we just keep putting out the same stuff. Um, right. So it's not really That's a true. Christmas tradition, but just sort of a trend around the culture of Christmas that we keep moving toward this like singular notion of of this kind of sterile, homogenized uh, view. Right. In other words, like Christmas means you have to do. Make your gingerbread hash. You have to watch your Hallmark movie. You have to watch Elf. You have to bake cookies. All these things that we all do, we just accept. But it used to be traditional or more provincial um, in how they would do it. And, and it would be decor- or celebrated so differently in different areas, which now you still have in different countries. But within America, you're saying it's been vastly homogenized. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, and um, you look at some of the the traditions that you'd see in the old West um, versus, you know, the Northeast where, you know, they, they may as well have been different countries. And for a long time, they literally were. 
um, that, you know, it's, it, it's, we've largely coalesced around this one idea and that really couldn't have happened without mass media and every hmm. new form of mass media, be it print, television, kind of radio, social has, has exerted a little bit more of that influence on Christmas. Hmm. That's fascinating. So Seth, what you're seeing is something that's been kind of neatly packaged and hand to, handed to you through your journey. A year yeah. years ago would have been totally different, different states, different families, everything. Right. It doesn't, it sounds let's see, a little better back then just because you allowed for more variation and, you know, obviously people can adapt or their own traditions to these things. But yeah, it ta- it's when you guys are talking about it, it's sounding like this kind of like all in one package thing you could you know, see, pick up, you know, go to Costco and pick up your Christmas pack and, and that's it. And your, your house is decorated, your movies will all be in there. And so and it even looks the same. Yeah. Well, Brian, yeah. when did that decorating the outside of the house, the, the, the lights, obviously that can't have been around too long. That had to be 16. Yeah, that was the, the other thing. I mean, you're, you're, how much of your experience of the Christmas season is uh, reliant on electricity, right? Like, right. You know, electric <laughs> Christmas lights are from the early 20th century and they mm-hmm. weren't common for decades later. And that's because they were very, very expensive. Um, and they didn't come on, you know, you didn't get like a thousand LEDs on like a mile of string. You, you The first strings of Christmas lights had, I think, like a dozen on them. Wow. Um, and then... Yeah, and dangerous I mean, when I too, was growing probably. up, um, yeah. you know, having just enough to do the outer trim of your house was kind of a big deal. And again, mm-hmm. it was, you know, they, they were the large C4 bulbs. They broke. They, you know, if one of them went out, the whole thing went out. Right. So I'd say it's really just like this last generation that like everybody can just have their lights up all the time. Um, they even have ones now where you can leave them up year round and the, you can control them with the phone so that at Halloween, you can they can be all orange. Valentine's right. Day, they can be all red and then you can make them Christmas style. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like, you can't imagine Christmas without Christmas lights. That is very, very, very new. Yeah, even yeah. the proliferation now of businesses that come around and do the lights for everybody. So that, yeah. that seems newer. And I think there's a lot of, um, yeah, here in my neighborhood in Willow Glen, California, a lot of streets will coordinate and each street will have a lighting theme and it, it's really mm-hmm. nice. Uh, but then there's always the people who kind of go over the top and it is always and without variation a middle-aged guy i don't know what it is about middle-aged <laughs> men and their christmas displays but uh, you know it's it's a rule that doesn't seem to get broken all that much um that's Trying something overcompensate with his eyes giant eyesore <laughs> <the house. laughs> when i tell people that i have a christmas podcast and all the christmas stuff i do they they immediately say oh i bet your house has like a thousand inflatables out front and all the lights and that is just not true at all i mean that's mm-hmm. certainly one way to show your christmas spirit it, it's not my speed by any stretch, right. I tend to be a little bit more understated with my decorating. Um, right, right. But yeah. Huh. Yeah, we should. I mean, I don't know. Um, you should one day come and see Seth's estate, Brian. It's amazing. He literally, <laughs> November 1st, he'll ring a bell. The uh-huh. servants go. It's wild. I mean, they come out of the woodwork and they decorate all 20,000 square feet of just the guest house. It's really crazy. <laughs> and it's so beautiful that that's become my tradition is just driving around his estate and his property. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll have to invite Brian one of these days, Seth, to come I'd check it out. Come. Yeah. Yes. It actually looks mm-hmm. like one of those cuckoo clocks where uh, it hits the hour and things are coming out and revolving <laughs> yes. around. <laughs> that's what it looks like. All right. So that, so, but Seth, all you know is lights, how they would be. So that's interesting that years ago, right. You wouldn't, obviously they would be expensive. They'd be hard to come by. They'd be not safe. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So that's something that we take for granted is, Oh, of course, Christmas lights. And if you look back 
you would think that okay, it's interesting. We we watched a couple of the old Brady Christmas episodes recently for the podcast, and yeah. seeing how they do it is a little more subdued. It seems like as well. Um, even then was late, you know, in the sixties, whenever it was, it wasn't as over the top as it is today. And then at some point, I mean, the, uh, the, the decorations, the, the light decorations on the outside transitioned or moved into these, uh, these big elaborate scenes on people's front yards, yeah. and, you yeah. know, Santa on a pirate ship with all the elves, <laughs> you know, it's just like these crazy things. I, 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 uh, I spent the first 13 years of my life in Houston, Texas, and there was a neighborhood in order for you to buy a home and that you had to agree to decorate. And then they had a laundry mm-hmm. list of oh, really? you know, things, criteria and stuff like that. And it, I mean, it was unbelievable because you would go there every year and you drive through and you tune in your radio to a station and you could listen mm-hmm. to it. It was very cool. Um, but I, you know, it was always a big thing. There were people even in our neighborhood who um, like we had a, uh, a neighbor two doors down the uh, it was when the Care Bears were very popular. So they had these big wooden cutout Care Bears all over their front yard. And then they had um, a uh, Teddy Ruxpin doll like hidden in the back. And I don't know, they hooked it up or something, but they put a tape in there. It was cassette tapes um, yeah. and it would play Christmas music. So. Um, yeah. yeah, a young delinquent cousin Seth saw oh, no. other purposes, but yeah. Did but, you change but, uh, the tape and make Teddy Ruxpin say just awful things? Yeah, he was really into rap of the time. <laughs> oh, no. I think NWA was his preferred. Oh group. no, Teddy Ruxpin. <laughs> yeah, so but that that cousin Seth is long. Weeks <laughs> he gone. stayed there. Weeks he gone. matured. Yes, yes. Right. Um, yeah, and even right those blow up. Yeah, our friends uh, Ronnie and Stephanie have the blow up dragon and the blow up cars all over, and they love it every year they bring it out. So it's wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Okay, so with the lights too. That so. Brian, also, I know you mentioned in your book, I did want to ask you, there are certain things there, um, a lot of criminal capers that go on with Christmas, tomb raiders and con artists. We don't want to keep you all day, but I'd love to hear one of these stories with the criminal capers involving our Christmas past. Well, this is literally um, uh, St. Nicholas. When he died, his bones were kept in, um, I forget where, somewhere in Italy. And there are these two merchant towns. Uh, one of them was called Bari and the other one, I'm, I'm forgetting the name. But anyway, during the Crusades, they wanted to create essentially a tourist attraction um, in their town because that was you know, just like a way to bring money into the town and, and whatever. And so these two groups of merchants were basically racing one another to get to Turkey where hmm. Nicholas's bones were. So they stole the bones and brought them back to Bari and built a basilica around it. Um, oh. And that's still there today. It's still a big pilgrimage site. You can visit it if you want to, uh, where oh. the bones of the historical St. Nicholas are. Um, but he would have stayed buried. He would have stayed in Turkey if it weren't been, uh, for tomb raiders who were looking to make their town a little bit richer. That is fascinating. Huh. Wow. Okay. Who knew? And it's still his actual, the real St. Nicholas. That's where he is. So they actually. As far as, you know, we can, as far as we can right. tell for sure. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, they have to exhume them and test for eggnog in the bones. That's the only way to tell, I guess. So, and there were some, okay, so there were Tomb Raiders, there were con artists. So out of all of that, is there anything else that you're saying, okay, we've got to cover that was just like blew your mind about Christmas past that we wouldn't think of? I know you mentioned the invention of plate glass, how it changed the Christmas season. Anything else that's just like, okay, this you have to hear? Well, plate glass was really, you know, around the um, end of the 19th century when you have this increased period of industrialization. And this is the time where Christmas 
you know, you wouldn't give gifts on Christmas. Kind of, it was almost like Halloween or Mardi Gras. Like you would celebrate it, but it wasn't a gift-giving holiday, you know. Uh, and if you hmm. gave gifts at all, you'd be give, it would be small things you gave to kids, and they would put them in their stockings, you know. And that's where the stocking tradition. Uh, some people would do pillowcases. But then all of a sudden, we have you know a lot of people moving into cities and a lot of things being made in factories and a lot of store-bought things and a rising middle class that has more disposable income. So we have a lot more people right. like buying stuff in general, buying things that come from stores, and then all of that just kind of weaving its way into all of life and, of course, Christmas too. And then you have things... Th those items would be too big to fit in stockings. So that's when they start going under the tree. All of that was just, uh, you know, based on the circumstance of the things that we were giving at Christmas and Christmas becoming more of a gift giving holiday, you know? Um, wow. I had no idea. So that's how they ended up under the tree because they were yeah. too big for the stockings. And there wow. was even, I mentioned this in the book, there was a, an article in ladies home journal because for a long time, um, they weren't in the stocking, but they weren't under the tree either. They would just be in the tree. Uh, and then once things huh. got bigger, they would go underneath. And there was this article in Ladies Home Journal talking about that. Like, oh, in America, the biggest trend is to put the gifts underneath the tree rather than among the branches of the tree. Um, and yet, like all of those things, you know, again, they all they all started somewhere. You know, there's some little story right. behind it that, you, you know, you might not have realized. Yeah, I can imagine one weak branch and all yeah. of a sudden your gifts and it's just like... <laughs> There you go. Okay, well, let's put it under the tree next year. That's a good idea. <laughs> Little Johnny's not going to be happy. And of course, they used, wow, to put, that's, uh, they used to put candle, like literal candles on Christmas trees. That's bonkers. Yes, they <laughs> did. That is so crazy. And I mean, was it just fire? And the houses were wood and no one had a fire extinguisher? Is it just fire after fire when they did this? It's crazy. Well, that's the thing. There weren't you know, fire extinguishers like we have now. I mean, the good news is that mm -hmm. if you have a freshly cut tree... <laughs> Uh, and you are, you know, near the Christmas tree there, you know, your, your risk is very low. Um, uh -huh. however, you know, it was enough of a problem that there actually were some insurance companies that put clauses in their policies that we don't cover Christmas tree fires. Um, wow. but you know, the way that you would do it is, you know, cause it wasn't like you would leave it lit and then go out, you know, like you, you'd light the candles and you'd be standing near it singing or something like that. You'd have right. a bucket of sand nearby. Uh, and then later what people would do is they put a wet sponge on the end of a stick and that's how you would um, d extinguish all of the candles. But still, right. I mean, it's a pretty bonkers idea. Like, oh, like, hey, let's take a dead tree and like, you know, put something flaming in it. Um, <laughs> right. It's the same person who probably thought, let's put the stockings right on top of the fireplace. Yeah. That's another fire hazard. So yeah. let's have a lot of a spiked eggnog around it just as, an, as, a, as you know, <laughs> a, something to spark the flames a little bit more. So yeah, that's, that's crazy. That would be a good, that would be a good follow-up book for you, Brian, just like Christmas disasters that have happened because oh, yeah, probably sure some really good been, ones. have been plenty. Yeah. Just towns wiped out from someone's tree or whatever <laughs> it is. So that's, uh, that's fascinating. Well, Seth, I think we've learned a lot about Christmas past. Yeah. That We learn about the present and the future through learning about our past, things that we want to repeat and don't repeat, and how things came to be. It's amazing that every single tradition has a beginning, and you take it for granted as if it always existed in the, you know, just not out of the ether and was always in our zeitgeist, but it really had to come to be for some reason or another and why it was adopted and why it's so prevalent today. Yeah. Um Really Seth, cool. you hear so this much. amalgamation of all these different practices, traditions, and stuff like that. It's just yeah, amazing. it's great. And how they came to be, boy, Seth, you're going to be sleeping tonight, counting all these stories and processing it all. <laughs> yeah. 
I can't wait till like next. I'm not uh, waiting till tonight. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't wait for the next dinner party to bring something up that we just learned today. Like, oh, funny painting on the wall. Did you know people didn't even see paintings back then? They had to get a Christmas card. I'll butcher it terribly, but uh, at least it'll. I'll, I'll at least suggest your book. <laughs> it'll help with sales. <laughs> Available at yeah. fine booksellers everywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Just Even some not so fine ones. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, I want to say you, you can look up Brian Earl. He's going to be all over the place this, this holiday season. He'll be on the Toys That Built America. That's on history. Um, your your book, Christmas Past, The Fascinating Stories Behind Our Favorite Holidays Traditions, is available everywhere books are sold. You can also listen to his podcast, Christmas past, and you can find him on all the socials at Christmas past official on Instagram, uh, at Christmas at Xmas past. You say Brian, cause I have, I don't want to butcher it. I say just, just look up Christmas past in the search box and any social and you'll, you'll you find go. me much easier. Yes. Much yeah. better than me sending them to the wrong place too. Yeah. So this has been very eye opening and enlightening and I really appreciate mm-hmm. you taking the time to share it with us. I'm a big fan of your podcast. I'm a fan of your book and I've been thrilled to have you on today. And yes, Seth, did you want to, Jump in there. Um, yeah, we can't let him go without uh, making uh, doing our uh, our official, uh, I guess, granting or uh, swearing right. in. I don't know what you would call it. So, Brian, at a... the end of when we have a new guest on, a cousin Seth, like a great Roman emperor, speak of the past, gives the thumbs up or thumbs down if you've become an official Christmas cousin. So, Seth, give us the yes. verdict here. I'm nervous. Yeah, I, w- I would be. Off of your head. Welcome, Cousin Brian. All right. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Welcome that to the family. Because Brian, if you don't get it that way, Seth has people behead you. It's really a high risk situation. <laughs> Scary, like when they knight you with a sword. So that was a close this one. is yes. We haven't aired this those episodes. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> no. We cannot put this out there and keep the uh, rating that we have. <laughs> right. That's right. It's but not the, family uh, friendly. That was a big call. So that was great. But yes, Brian, thank you again so much for joining yes. us. I will continue to look uh, look forward to your new episodes and catch up on some of the old ones that I haven't gotten to yet. I haven't heard one yet that I haven't enjoyed and either listened to straight through or had a pause for some reason or other and jump back as soon as I could. Uh, and again, check out Brian's book, check out his podcast, check out everything. And thank you for bringing some history and some scholarship to the Christmas Cousins podcast. Normally it's lacking that, right, Seth? I mean, it's more <laughs> yeah, sound effects. So, no, this was great. But, but, yeah. <laughs> this ups this our credibility. It. Yeah, really. <laughs> it makes us look better. <laughs> That's it. So Brian, thank you again so much. Thank I'm going to, we're going to end it here. So I'm Cousin Chad. And I'm Cousin Seth. I'm Cousin Brian. You there you go. Exactly. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Thank you, everybody. Thank we you. will Merry see Christmas, you everyone. soon. Merry Christmas, everyone.